your news programme every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So, in honour of Christmas, we continue our look at those who are less fortunate at this time of year. And I think uh, for all of us following the refugee crisis over the last few months, it's absolutely clear that there will be a fair few for whom Christmas will have very little meaning at all. But sometimes it is those little gestures that count. And on the line to tell us more, we've got Sarah Crow, Chief of Crisis Communications at UNICEF. That is the United Nations Children's Fund. We often talk about UNICEF without perhaps explaining in further detail. Good morning to you from Seoul. Good morning to you. So refugee families and especially children, how are they doing this Christmas? Uh, Presumably cold weather is one major concern, but uh, can you just spell out for us the difficulties? Cold weather is most certainly a concern, but if you look back at the year of 2015, it will really be remembered. It'll go down in history as the year of the refugee and migrant child. We all know what that means uh, when, we all, when we saw the image of this little boy, lifeless body in, on a Turkish beach. And that really started to change the dialogue and the narrative around the refugee and migrant crisis that people understood that this was a children's crisis unlike any other. At the beginning of this year, of 2015, we saw a lot of single men coming into Europe. And now from the summer into November and December, we saw huge numbers of, of children and families coming in. So from 27% was the average of children and women, uh, the proportion of women and children coming in, and now uh, beyond 52%, so much more than, uh, and the figures are going up, much more than half. So this really is an indication of, of why this is uh, a far more complex crisis than was initially seen. And at this time, uh, Christmas time, the end of the year, uh, Christmas is a universal message. It's not just about being Christian, but it's about celebrating life and light and happiness. Uh, and sadly, for far too many of those children, of uh, those refugee and migrant families, they're not able to do that. Mm. I mean, Christmas itself, it seems rather flippant to talk about the sort of celebrations that many of us will be taking for granted, the sharing of gifts and... <laughs> Christmas trees, some of the food that's associated with it. Are, are there some small gestures, though, that make a difference at this time of year? They're small gestures and they're large gestures. The small gestures are about giving, about caring, about understanding, about empathising, about showing solidarity, and that's what we've seen throughout Europe, uh, and we could see, hopefully, we will see much more of that in 2016. We've seen how Germans, how Swedish people and others have opened their hearts and their homes uh, to families coming in devastated by war. Uh, and, and that is very much the, the message of Christmas, if you like, uh, is to show that sense of compassion and that sense of solidarity. It's not about baubles and trees and, and, and giving gifts. Uh, that's a small part of it. But the bigger gestures are about understanding the hardship 
and understanding the heartbreak and responding with, with, with a warmth and an openness. Uh, and we know going forward that the only way to stem this crisis, the only response and the only long-lasting and sustainable solution is an end to these conflicts from which uh, children and their families are fleeing. That means an end to the crisis in Syria, the war in Syria, the conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan and beyond. Those are the trigger factors. And until such time as there are solutions there, uh, the crisis, the refugee and migrant crisis will continue. So it is really a message for all nations of the world and not just Europe, because this is bigger than Europe now, um, to find global solutions to these, these uh, exacerbated problems in, uh, in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, and that means every country in the world can share and every country in the world uh, can bring about pressure on their leaders to uh, to find political solutions and, and to find peace. When, when we talk about putting pressure on our leaders, I mean, it sounds great. What what does that look like for the everyday person, do you think, uh, listening now, who, who might just feel that's unrealistic, who might feel that uh, our leaders are just beyond our reach, beyond... Our voices. I think we've seen the power of that over time and over history, uh, and people vote with their feet. Uh, refugees and migrants are voting with their feet. They're leaving the, their countries of origin. Uh, they are desperate. Um, their lives have been wrecked by these crises. Last year, 2014, we saw was the most devastating year on record for children. And now we've seen that this year is really, this is, the seeds of this year were sown last year. So to stop that that circle, that endless kind of repetitive circle, we have to put pressure on our governments. And that means writing letters. It means talking out on radio shows like yours. It mm. means television audiences to be uh, engaged and, and enthusiastic. We've seen the power that that or the power that uh, that that can bring about change, uh, and and we know that for now, the children are the ones who are suffering the most. Mm. They're bearing the brunt of this crisis, uh, and they have had no part uh, in this crisis. They have had no no part in creating what is um, what what is effectively their um, they're having to live with with the results of this and. That is wrong. That is simply unfair. We have to stop that. But beyond that, right now, we have to deal with a humanitarian situation, which means uh, dealing with and, and supporting these children at every step of the way in their countries of origin. That means all the countries that they, they come from, supporting them with schooling and in refugee camps and in host communities. And then when they're on the move, uh, in countries in the Balkans, for instance. And now, just this week, uh, UNICEF and the government of Germany are joining forces uh, to improve the care and protection of refugee and migrant children in Germany. And this is quite historic. We haven't been operating in countries, and uh, industrialised countries uh, like Germany, for, for nearly 70 years. Yeah. The history of UNICEF and UNHCR and other UN agencies uh, came out of the ashes of the Second World War, and now we are into the 70th anniversary of, of these agencies, and uh, we're back full circle. 
so, so we have learned from the experience of the past, and we're bringing it to countries uh, like Germany, which um, do not have have this kind of experience of yes. dealing with refugees as we have had. It's a very striking example and before we focus too closely on Germany ourselves here in South Korea might hold a mirror up and think about some of the stateless children that we've heard about in recent months here on the show and and think about whether we want uh, to leave it to UNICEF to come in and support them or should we come up with a solution ourselves I'd like to ask you uh, Sarah Crow you mentioned the iconic image of the of that boy who'd sadly passed away amid this crisis, the Syrian boy. But were there any examples that you witnessed in Germany or, or heard about, any case studies that, that would just really hammer this home in, in a very developed country like that, some of the difficulties that children are facing? What struck me, uh, meeting children on the move, I've, I first met Syrian children in refugee camps in 2012, uh, and and these, of course, there are also Afghan children on the move and Iraqis and, and a mixed, it's a mixed flow. It's very fluid. It's very fast moving. It's been changing every single week. Uh, the figures are now up to 300,000 plus children. That's the size of a small, uh, a small European town. It's the size of the former capital of Germany, Bonn, is 300,000. So it's extraordinary numbers we're talking about. Uh, many are unaccompanied. Uh, but the vast majority are with their families, and that does not mean that they are in are in necessarily safer hands. They too face great risks at every step of a step of the way, and we have to be with them at every step of the way. Uh, what, what struck me in Germany, for instance, when I met Syrian families who told me uh, just two days ago, uh, who told me what they'd been through, is that it may be their destination. Uh, Germany is their safe haven, if you like, but it is really just the beginning of another, of another journey. Getting into schools, understanding mm. the language, understanding the culture, uh, getting protected by systems that are extremely thinly stretched in all these European countries because they've never dealt with a crisis like this since the Second World War. So it really is quite unprecedented. Uh, and we have to do, we, it really challenges us to do so much more and to think rather creatively about how we support children on the move, because in some countries in the Balkans, for instance, they're only staying a couple of hours. And then when they get to their destination, it is not a nirvana, it is not, it's a safe haven, it is of course not, these are not countries of war, they've fled war, mm. but it is not the end, it is only halfway through and is a huge huge challenge ahead to try and integrate them into society to make sure that they are not uh, they are not harmed uh, any further uh, when they try to settle into their new lives. Sarah Crow, thank you so much for bringing that home at uh, hopefully a time of year when our ears are open to the message. Thank you very much. Sarah Crow from UNICEF and our email's open to you anytime, efmthismorning at gmail.com.